All right, we're excited tonight, aren't we? I'm pumped. Um, we're, we're in part three. I'm going to continue to finish getting ready. Um, we are in part three. This is in case someone gets super bored and wants to take a nap. Um, this has a purpose, I promise. I'm not just some weird guy who's going to get super bored while he's speaking and want to take a nap. This is a legit pillow from home. I'll explain what the pillow means and why I have it. Um, but I called my wife today. I was here at the church. And I said, Abby, I forgot the pillow that I was going to use. So my assumption was we have like 1,800 pillows on our bed just because. I like to cuddle. <laughs> and so I assumed she was going to give me the old, just crappy, not necessarily gross, but I feel gross when I lay on it or hug it because <laughs> it's just been in our family for so long. And I thought she's going to give this pillow. And, I, and I, she pulls up. She comes into uh, the little place there, and I go outside and get it. And she, she rolls down the window. She hands it to me, and she goes, bring that pillow back. It's the nice one. She brought me the nice pillow. And there's a high chance, because I'm a forgetful person, that it ain't going home. And it may just be in my office for the rest of the time that I'm here at the church. Just a fun story for us to start off real quick. <laughs> um, we're in our third week of the Learn to Live series. The first week, <laughs> we, uh, we, we were looking at the life of Elijah. And we are, everyone's giggling about my laugh right now, I can tell. <laughs> I love it. Not, not super insecure at all about it. Um, looking at the life of Elijah. And we, we talked about that first week. The reality, we're living in a culture that seems to just be anti-God. Uh, some people are kind of pro-Jesus, but a lot of people are anti-followers of Jesus. Um, and, and we live in a culture that seems to push back when we talk about faith or religion or relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. And in that first, in recognizing that Elijah lived in the same kind of culture. He lived um, serving in and being a prophet with the Israelites, with a king who was reigning that was evil. And that word actually says who there was no king who as evil as King Ahab was up to this time. And so learning to live in a culture that is seemingly just anti-God, that is against you. And so we're looking at the life of Elijah. We talked about that first week of what it looks like to learn in, to live in this culture, to learn to live as a follower of Jesus, someone who loves God, is to approach everyday life, to approach life in general, to approach um, in encountering and in acting in that culture and in our world with a simple, humble obedience. And then last week, Brennan had the opportunity to, to speak and to preach, and I just, I was so encouraged and I was pumped up as he shared the story, uh, a well-known story of Elijah being bold in the, midst, in the midst of adversity, being bold for his God, for the Lord, being bold and passionate, recognizing that God is going to move and can move, and I serve a powerful God who is actually the only God who is greater than any little G God, fake God that you serve. And he went to this battle with, with King Ahab and Jezebel and the Baal prophets, and God was victorious. And Elijah knew that he was victorious. He talked about last week what it looks like to be bold for our king. This, this week is a little different. I'm going to talk about what it looks like to trust God in any and every circumstance. What does it look like in our culture to learning, as we're learning to live together as followers of Jesus, as lovers of, of the Lord, how do we trust him well? 
What does that look like? And we're actually going to look at 1 Kings 19 and a passage of scripture where Elijah does something that is unexpected and uncharacteristic of what we would assume someone who's following Jesus, who loves the Lord, who is a prophet of God would do. So we're going to dive into this story. Um, I got three points that, that I believe God ha- has given me. I'm going to talk about some things that I may open up a can of worms that I may not be able to get into everything that I may, maybe should. Um, I think there are going to be questions potentially, and that's okay. Because tonight, the entire goal, no matter what happens in life, is how do we lean back on trusting God, trusting in his person, which is his character, trusting in his promises, what he tells us and what he's revealed to us in scripture, and then trusting in his provision. So we're going to read 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 9. You got a phone, open it up. You got a Bible, open it up. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, brush, <laughs> a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So we see opening up in 1 Kings 19, a threat that is happening on Elijah's life. Brennan talked last week of this amazing battle of the boldness of Elijah stepping in and praying for God to be at work. He was in a battle where it was the one true God of Israel, Yeshua, versus the God of of Jezebel, the God who is named Baal. And he comes out victorious after he prays. Proving in front of all the Israelites, in front of King Ahab, that his God was the one true God. And the promise that was made before the battle said, whoever can, lights this altar on fire proves that he is a God and who that God will be worshipped. And so Elijah sees this great victory, this amazing thing and work of God. And if I'm Elijah... I think I have a certain expectation of how people should respond. If you're Elijah, you see your God, you see the Lord at work, prove that he is the one true God in front of his people who have turned their back on him, in front of the king who is the most evil king up to this time, God proves that he is who Elijah said he was. I'm having an expectation that something's going to change. 
That King Ahab is going to go back to Jezebel, Jezebel, his wife, and say, this is what God did. This is how I saw the God of Israel. It's my God who I abandoned work and move. I don't know about you. If I'm Elijah, I'm having a certain expectation of what I think should go down. But we see in the first, not just two verses, but also in verse three, is an unexpected response. And there's two different aspects of this. There's an unexpected response from Elijah's point of view as he sees a threat made by Jezebel. And then there's an unexpected response as I'm reading this passage from Elijah, thinking, Elijah, you just saw what God did. It doesn't change the fact that he's God, but Elijah does something that's super, super weird. I don't know about you guys, um, but a lot of disappointment and frustration in my life have been because of unmet expectation. Where I've had certain expectations, and then when those expectations weren't met, there was disappointment or frustration, and here's where the pillow comes in. And I'm going to hold it like this, because it's a comfort for me. I got married nine and a half years ago to an amazing woman. Uh, What I knew about myself was that one of my, my top love language was physical touch. So I like kisses and PDA, as gross as it is, it's like, I don't even care. Let me hold your hand and kiss you and make people feel super awkward, which is horrible. Don't do that. (laughs) I just am that guy. I don't know why. I just am. My wife's uh, love language is quality time, uh, but also sub words of encouragement. Physical touch is probably number five. So we're very different people, and that's okay. And so we get married, and you know what happens on the night of the wedding? That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, that happens, and then me being the physical touch person that I am is like, all right, now we get to cuddle. It's the first time I get to cuddle with my wife. This is amazing. And so whatever, and we're laying there, and I'm, getting, and I'm getting ready to cuddle her, and I'm super excited, and she just kind of turns around and starts falling asleep. She's like, hold on, time out. This isn't right. There's something else that needs to happen. And so I'm trying to, I was like, babe, can you just turn around, and we're having a conversation, and we're talking. It's like, can we, can we cuddle it? She's like, oh yeah, sure. And so we start cuddling, and so I was like, great. And all of a sudden, like 30 seconds, and she's like, sorry, I can't do this. She turns around, and she falls asleep. And immediately, I'm frustrated. I'm like, we finally get married. We get to be with each other, and I don't get a cuddle. This is garbage. I was mad. I was legit frustrated. I was legitimately frustrated. Because I had an expectation coming into our marriage that something was going to happen, and then the expectation wasn't met. There was an unexpected response from the love of my life. And I didn't say anything to her. I didn't talk to her about it. And this is kind of tangent number one of what I'm assuming is going to be a ton tonight. I finally asked her why she never liked to cuddle. Like years into our marriage. Year, yeah, that's the correct response. <laughs> years into it. And she goes, babe, I don't like to cuddle, one, because you run hotter than a furnace. <laughs> Which is true. The Geetzen family is notoriously like... I think we're three degrees hotter than everyone else. I hold my baby Alice and I'm st- I start to sweat. I'm like, okay, I get, I get your point. 
But that wasn't the main reason. It wasn't just that I'm super hot. <laughs> yes. It was a delayed response, but it was the response I was hoping to get. That expectation was met. And she goes, babe, the reason a lot of the time I don't like to cuddle is you want to do it face to face, and then you make me try to conform to your body. And she goes, I'm not a pillow. I can't do it. And so I started to think about it. I was like, oh, because what I, I mean, I'm holding. I'm, 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 and so if you're looking at it this way, I, we're face to face, and I'm doing this, and she's doing this, not being able to move. I thought, okay, I understand now. I get why you don't want to cuddle. I apologize. And so we've had a compromise in what cuddling means. <clears throat> still only lasts 30 seconds, but it still works. But there are unexpected responses that we have in life. Now we're going to get a little more serious now. And Elijah runs into this. He sees an incredible movement of God and power of God on display. And he has this, I would have had this assumption that The Israelites are going to turn their back from Baal and going to start following the one true God. He had an assumption that things would work out a certain way, and then they didn't. And then when the results didn't happen, the way that Elijah expected them to happen, things took a turn. And things took a turn for the worse. So instead of King Ahab going to Jezebel and saying, this is what happened, he proved your God wrong. Jezebel made a note, say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And he gets a death threat. From expecting a whole people to turn and follow the Lord, he instead receives a death threat. And so in the midst of that, verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So this is what this means when it says that Elijah went to Beersheba. He got this threat. He was afraid. And in that, that word there where it says afraid, in some of your Bibles, there might be a note like on the bottom that says Elijah saw The Hebrew word there where it says afraid in my Bible and I think the majority, the Hebrew word there is saw. And it gives us this assumption that, okay, Elijah saw that something was happening and there needed to be a response. But the problem was that what Elijah saw wasn't the power of God just seen on display, wasn't the provision of God being able to work in his life to be able to protect him and guide him that he could trust him. What Elijah saw is what he thought was going to happen. And what he thought was going to happen was death. And so the word here is afraid. Elijah did not see how things were at all. Instead, he feared how things might be. You see, when we focus our expectations, when we focus on our expectations and make the results and the things that we want to see happen our source of happiness or joy or significance, and then those things don't happen, a natural response is fear. And that's what we see in Elijah. And so as Elijah is fleeing and he's moving, what's happening is he's not just fleeing from the threat of death, is that he's actually also fleeing from God who he saw at work and the power of God on display. 
Because what we see in this chapter and in these verses is there's no moment where Elijah calls on the Lord seeking for direction. There's no moment where he asks God, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? See, God, in the midst of this, and I think what hurts the Father and what hurts God in this is not so much what God did or what Elijah did, it's what Elijah didn't do. Because the natural response of a death threat is to run. That's smart. It's to hide and, and make yourself safe. It's in the midst of that, he allowed fear to control him so much. He allowed what he thought he saw and was going to happen to keep him from seeking direction, provision, and guidance from the Father. Do we do that? When you are met with unexpected responses in life, when fear overcomes and overwhelms, how do you respond? He reacted rather than responding to God. And so often we react rather than respond by faith in what God is doing. In the next verses, the next scene, we find Elijah discouraged. He's depressed. He's hiding. And he's failing to minister to his people, which was God's ultimate purpose for Elijah. Elijah's actions were not the actions of faith or fellowship. They were actions of a desperate man who was discouraged and depressed. And we know this as we go into the next verses. In the next verses, we come in contact and encounter what I'm calling the valley after the victory. There's these moments that we have in life where we see an amazing work of God. Yes, we potentially have expectations and then those expectations are met and we fall into fear and we're afraid and we run and we flee And then inevitably, because we are in a spiritual war and the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us, or because we didn't have appropriate expectations for what was to follow, we come into this valley, into this moment, where we run into things that we weren't expecting. End of verse 3. Excuse me, we're going to go to end of verse 4. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever prayed something like that? Have you ever had a moment where life was just too much? And you couldn't move on. And you've had to say, God, that's it. I'm done. Enough. Kill me. Or if I just wasn't living anymore, if I didn't have to deal with this anymore, everything would be okay. If I was just not here, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. And not just worry, then I wouldn't have to go through the overwhelming feeling of being alone, stressed, anxious, and worried. You see, sometimes in life, we are never closest to our hardest defeat than after moments of our greatest victory. I'm debating in my head if I should say something right now. I'm sorry. 
I am an avid Minnesota sports fan. <laughs> Amen. Hey, the Vikings didn't lose this week. Is a good week. Two years ago, let me get a little lighter, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper in a little bit. <laughs> Two years ago, the Vikings were in a playoff game against the New Orleans Saints. And what transpired was one of the greatest moments in sports history. Nay, maybe in the world of all of history. Just kidding. It's just sports. I love them, but it's just sports. I am packing up my children because I'm at my in-laws watching this game. It's a divisional playoff game. The Vikings, um, over the last like five to ten years, have not been great, but have somehow made the playoffs like one every three years. And so they're in the playoffs, divisional. It's a home game. Like, all right, playing well. Get to this point. They're leading. They kind of give it away. Drew Brees, who's a quarterback from New Orleans Saints, does what Drew Brees does. They get back. The Saints are, kick a field goal with under a minute left. I think it was under a minute. And the Vikings get the ball with little time, little hope. And they're on their side of the field, on their side of the 50. And there's a few seconds left. And I'm pa- I put my coat on. I'm putting coats on my children. I already have an assumption of what's going to happen. I'm, I'm mentally preparing for a loss. And as I'm putting my coat on my kid, I see Case Keenum, who was the quarterback of the Vikings at the time, come back, throw this ball to Stefan Diggs, who's a wide receiver. Stefan Diggs makes this incredible catch. And as he's falling to the ground keeps himself up, a cornerback misses him, and I'm starting to yell, get out of bounds so we can kick a field goal. And he keeps running, and he keeps running, and all of a sudden I recognize no one's in front of him. He's going to score with zero seconds left. This is the greatest moment of my life. I have two kids, (laughs) and I'm married. It was the greatest victory I've seen the Vikings. I've been watching them, sadly, for 32 years. It was incredible. The very next week, they play the Philadelphia Eagles who are on their backup quarterback, who I think is washed up. I'm like, win. We're going to the Super Bowl. It's happening. And sometimes in life, our hardest defeat is right after our greatest victory. (laughs) Welcome to Minnesota sports. But this happens. Think think of your life. If you've been in the church for a while, and if you haven't, if your first time here tonight, welcome. It's, it's a weird, awesome night. I'm, I'm super glad you're here. But if you've been in the church a while, you've gone to camps and you've gone to retreats and you've gone to mission trips. And you've had these huge, high, just emotionally encouraging and spiritually encouraging and uplifting experiences. And almost inevitably, you get back home and there's a spiritual lull. And there's attack. And there's frustration. Or there's moments in our life where we finally get this recognition or encouragement to confess a sin, to confess something to a friend or to God. And inevitably what happens the very next day is their spiritual attack regarding the sin that you struggled with for so long. The victory of being able to repent and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm all yours. I give this to you. almost always follows with hardship 
with a battle because sometimes in life, our hardest defeat comes after moments of incredible victory. Incredible, incredible victory. For Elijah, this was real and this was big. For Elijah, it got so hard that for him, he didn't know how to handle it and he didn't know if he could go on. I read this story to my wife. My wife's a physician assistant. And she says, yeah, if this guy comes into the clinic and I'm meeting with him, he has situational depression at minimum. Sometimes in life we go through things that get us to a point that we just can't handle. And sometimes it's situational like Elijah. And sometimes it's real and, and, and clinical and diagnosed that we'll have for the rest of our life. Sometimes it's stress and worry that comes with happenstance of being a human. And sometimes it's real mental illness that we are diagnosed with that we have to battle and fight through for ever until Jesus comes back. And when we get into these moments, and, and I'm going to use the word depression because it's heavy enough to, to get to the point that I want to get to. But also when, we, when depression is used, there's a stigma within the church that we get weird about. And even in life, not just in the church, there's usually like three different aspects of how people deal with depression. Again, depression being a spectrum of a lot of things. From real, clinically diagnosed to situational, which is a real diagnosis, to situational depression based off what's happening in life. And I just, I need to say this. If you've been diagnosed with some sort of mental illness, it's not a sin. It's not. It's real. And if that is you, one, know and, and believe the thoughts that you have, the feelings that you feel, in the midst of that, God is for you and not against you. So there's three different aspects and I think three different ways that people try to, I don't want to say fix, but it feels like fixing when it comes to any type of depression that we encounter. And here are the three, you're going to put them up behind me. First, there are some views that people have as if we as humans were exclusively or primarily physical. They said, okay, you're going through this, you're feeling this way, maybe you just need to get some rest. Just take a vacation, come back, you'll be fine. Or there's the reality of being physical beings that we are, where if you take a pill, that could help. I know people who really, really love Jesus that have been diagnosed with anxiety, who've been diagnosed bipolar, that need to take medication. And that's okay, that's not wrong. There are some views and aspects where, where people look at us as just solely spiritual, beating, uh, spiritual beings and exclusively spiritual people. And they say, okay, you're going through this, you just need to pray about it. <laughs> Which isn't a bad answer. Or maybe there's something in your life that you're going through and that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. What if you just need to quit sinning? Repent. I'm going to tell a weird story right now. I'm allergic to fresh fruits and vegetables. That's real. I know it sounds crazy. It's just a thing. Ask my wife about it. She didn't believe me until like six years into our marriage. I'm, I'm serious. 
I'm allergic to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I had a gal who loves Jesus and, and who I respected tremendously who told me that the reason that I'm allergic to fresh fruits and vegetables is because either I have a sin in my life that I'm doing or there's a generational sin in my life that I need to repent of. Legitimately told me that. So I did those things and I had a sm- mango pineapple smoothie and I had a physical reaction. <laughs> so sometimes just that we're physical beings, yes, it's true. We are spiritual beings, yes. And sometimes those are correct and real responses and answers to deal with depression and the things that we're going through. And then there's another view uh, that people have that we're, it's, it's just the thing you're going through is just primarily psychological. You just need to talk it out. You need to get counseling. Now, in all three of those things, those aren't bad things. They're not. And what I want to get to is us as humans, as holistic beings of heart, soul, mind, and strength, strength being our physical self, All of those four aspects don't work individually. They're interconnected. They're connected in a way where one affects the other. God knows this about us. And so we see this story, Elijah getting to a point where he wants to die. And in verses five through nine, and even continuing on in verses nine through 18, which we'll get to next week, we see the sustaining grace of God. We see a provision from God that that deals with all three aspects of us being spiritual, physical, and psychological. God ministers to us wholly because we are whole beings made up of soul, mind, heart, and strength. He ministers to Elijah physically, right? Right? First, we we talked about two weeks ago how birds brought Elijah a happy meal, which is incredible. And now what we see in the start of verse five is Elijah, Elijah, Elijah lays down, he gets some sleep, an angel of the Lord come and touches him on the shoulder, which I don't know about you, but some people I know and love have what I like to call wake up fists. And if you touch them while they're sleeping, they get up ready to brawl. The angel touches Elijah. He doesn't fight the angel, probably because he's an angel. And he gets up, and he doesn't say, do not be afraid. He doesn't say, don't fear. He doesn't say, what are you doing? Get over it. Just pray about it. He doesn't say, why didn't you go to God in the midst of that unmet expectation? While you're in the valley, why didn't you pursue him? He says, if you turn around, there's some bread on some hot coals that I made you. Eat it. He ministers to him physically. There's some times in our life where we just need a, need, need a good night's sleep and we need to eat right. Plain and simple. It's just a reality. I've had moments in ministry where I thought like I needed to go just pray about something when in reality I just needed a nap. I'm as a pastor saying to you, practice the discipline of napping. Don't go overboard and don't be lazy. But sometimes in life, we need some sleep. Elijah needed to rest physically. God ministers to Elijah spiritually. Very plain and simple. By sending an angel of the Lord, God is telling Elijah, I'm here. I have not forgotten you. I have not left you or forsaken you. Even when you didn't turn to me in the midst of what you were battling and fighting through, I am for you. Jesus does this for us. 
In the midst, man, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we turn our back on him, he's always there, ready to remind us he's there. He ministers to Elijah spiritually, telling him he's there, he's not forgotten him, even when Elijah flees from him. And then he ministers to Elijah psychologically. I think there are moments in life where we need to admit that being okay, being, not being okay is okay. Where we can be able to be vulnerable in, people, in front of people we love and in front of God, knowing that he's not angry with us. For Elijah to be able to say, I've had enough, I'm done, kill me. And God to come, give him rest, give him food, as he sent the angel of the Lord to remind him he is there for him, that he's not against him, I think that eases emotional pain that Elijah was going through. The Psalms are filled with people being vulnerable before God, being real with what's going on in their life. He goes on, it goes on to say in, in verse nine, um, he went into a cave, he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He Minister him psychologically, if you read verse 10, he just listens to him. God is ready to listen to you, to hear your deepest hurt, concern, and burden. I'm going to have the team come up. Ben, come up. We're going to go into a time of prayer. How do you just need to be ministered to God tonight and, and know that God desires to minister to you to serve you, to love you, to provide for you wholly. To give you moments and opportunities where you know what, maybe you have a lot going on in life. Maybe you are experiencing real burnout and depression, anxiety. He's giving you permission to rest. To rest, yes, spiritually, on reading and reminding yourself of the promises of God, but also physically. When we allow the holistic provision of God to be at work in our life, we can respond to life's circumstances by faith. He wants to minister and serve you, to provide for you physically, spiritually, and psychologically. He wants to provide for you holistically. And when we allow ourselves to be served, to be ministered to, to step into and live in the provision of God, anything that gets thrown at us in life, we can take. And sometimes, maybe that for you tonight is recognizing you're going through something where you need counseling. You need to go get help. That's okay. That's not wrong. We're going to have people up in front leaders ready to pray for you. If you. Maybe it's just a moment you need to come and allow someone and to allow God to use someone to pray for you. You know your battle. You know what you're going through. God does too. And so to allow ourselves to lean into the provision of God in every aspect of who we are as, as, as human beings, will allow us then to encounter circumstances in faith. And what I mean by that is we'll be able to 
approach anything that life throws at us, even when we don't expect it, trusting in the provision, in the person, and the promises of God. So that's what I want you guys to pray through tonight. Trust God in his person, who he is as God, as provider and sustainer of life, as guide and shepherd and king, as creator of the universe, holy, mighty, worthy of praise, as father who loves you and is for you. Trust in his promises. Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28 and he ends it with, I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. That's a promise of God that we can take with us everywhere. The promise of God that nothing can separate you from his love. And then trust in his provision. Believe that he desires to provide for you physically, spiritually, psychologically. As we go into prayer, as you pray those three things, I'm going to read Psalm 145. Because I think this psalm has every aspect of what it looks like to be someone who trusts God for who he is as his person, to trust in his promises, and to trust him as provider and in his provision. I'm going to read this, and then I want you guys just to go into a time of prayer. Leaders, those of you who are praying, come on up. Be ready. Psalm 145 says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord, your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen.